there's a book titled The Year of Living Biblically. This book was written by an author who's not a Christian. As a matter of fact, he calls himself a Jewish agnostic. He says in the book, he says, I'm officially Jewish, but only Jewish in the same way that Olive Garden is an Italian restaurant. So he obviously didn't consider himself very Jewish. He does these experiments, because he's a journalist, right? He does different experiments, and he writes articles or books and does interviews. For example, one of his experiments I think is totally, I mean, I think several of them are crazy, but this was just crazy. He took several months, and he said whatever came to his mind first. Can you think about if you walked in public and you said whatever you wanted to say, like just right off the bat, like no filter, basically. Just say whatever you want. He said he got slapped a lot and almost got in some fist fights. Uh, so I definitely don't recommend that experiment. But for this experiment, he attempted to follow every rule in the Bible. So what he did was he took several different versions of the Bible and he read through them and he highlighted all the commands, directives, the law. He highlighted all of them. And he said, I'm going to follow this for a year. And he tried to live this out all while living in Manhattan. It's crazy. So he stopped wearing clothes made with any mixed fibers. In accordance with the Levitical law, he stopped having the edges of his beard and ends up with a massive beard that kind of makes him look like, you know, an old rocker from like the 80s. He refuses to shake hands with any woman he think might be unclean. Not sure how you would judge that one or not. And this one, this is kind of one of my favorites. He had a little, like, satchel kind of thing here, and he put little pebbles in there, like little rock pebbles. And when he knew someone was an adulterer, he would take a pebble and start flicking them at him. So he did this for a whole year. He said it made for a great book. He said, but it almost destroyed my marriage. He said, my wife said, if I don't cut this out, she's going to leave me. But I find this book to be strange. I find it to be somewhat humorous. Obviously, he takes a lot of things out of context, uh, but I think to some level, it encapsulates how some people view the Bible. They view it as just a strictly a book of rules, or strictly a book of only law, and it's exhausting to them, because they just don't know where to start. They're intimidated by it. makes them nervous to even think about reading something, and that may be some of you, or it may not. But even if you believe that this book right here is God's inerrant word, that it is perfect, it's fully sufficient for you in every single context, you might treat this kind of like you treat your iPhone when you get a new upgrade. When, the, when you get an upgrade on a phone, or maybe like even like an attorney sends you some paperwork, or uh, your, your new computer, right? Terms and conditions come up. What do we all just click? Accept. Do you read it? No, you don't read it. Why would you read it? I don't know. It's 50,000 pages long. You're not going to read that. I don't know if they're asking for $100. I don't know if they're asking for a new TV or if they want my second child. I don't know what they want. I don't even know. I just hit accept. I'm not reading it. But some Christians treat the Bible that way. They're now saved, right? But are they, they just click the accept. When you're a Christian, you just click accept to everything, right? And you just, they just ignore it. Or just don't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. They'll come to church, but they're not really diving in this themselves. They treat it just like the Apple terms and conditions. I hope that's not you either. 
but that may be some of you. Now, some of you have tried to read the entire Bible in a year, and you've completed it. Woo! Great job. That's amazing. It's a great, great feat, right? But percentages say that many people attempt to read the whole Bible in a year, but many people get stuck. They get stuck. They get stuck in, stuck in Numbers or Leviticus, or they get sick for two or three days, and before you know it, you come back, and you got 55 chapters to read that day, and you're like, how am I going to read 55 chapters today? I have kids. I have this. I'm, you know, how are you going to do it? And they get discouraged. They feel shamed, right? And then just discontentment starts to set in. It's unhealthy. But what I'm excited about is starting uh, next week, we're going to be starting a reading plan. Actually, tomorrow we start the reading plan, and next week the first one is preached. We'll be reading through the Bible in a year through the major storylines of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. It's about two chapters a day for 260 days, and then you follow that by journaling. We don't care so much that you read 15 chapters a day just to check the box, but no heart change. We care more about, are, is your heart conforming to the image of Christ? Are you looking more like Jesus, or are you setting out for a list of laws just to check the box to say you've completed it? Well, what we hope is we hope that you, your heart is changing, that you are looking more like Christ each and every day. So I'm excited about what 2018 is going to bring as we all corporately are reading the scriptures together, that we are applying them in our groups, right, in our life groups. We have accountability there. I cannot think of a better way, honestly, to spend the year as a corporate body all reading the same thing and working to apply the same thing. I can't think of a better thing to do. Do you want a better marriage? Are you struggling with self-worth? Are you struggling with what's my purpose in life? Do you want to grow in your faith? Well, faith is less like building a house, right? One brick at a time on top, and then it just want, it's done, and you don't have to add any more bricks. But instead, faith is more like getting in shape. We know that getting in shape comes and goes, and it's a, it's a lifelong effort. Right? At no point does somebody say, hey, I'm in shape. I don't got to do nothing else. No, you can't. This is how it works. You'll lose your cardio in about four days. We all know because Christmas just came and nobody wants to get on a treadmill right now. We all know that it comes and goes. But when I was in Louisville, and Louisville is a very weird place, love the place, it's a weird place. When I was in uh, with some different people who were really big into working out, they started trying me to get me to eat strange stuff. And I remember the first time, I think my wife introduced it. It's called, it's a superfood. Kale. All right. I lo now love kale, but the first time she was like, kale, I'm like, that looks nasty. But one thing about kale is it's a superfood because it's dense, it's rich in nutrients. Like, very good. Everybody's like, oh, eat kale. Or eat sweet potatoes. Superfoods. Really good. thing about getting in shape is only 20% of getting in shape is what you actually do in the gym. Only 20%. So, I'm, I mean, you can spend all the time you want sitting in the gym, and then you go home and you eat Krispy Kreme donuts. Canceled. Nope. Because 80% of it is what you eat. It's your diet. Right? Now, this book, the Bible, is the superfood of faith. Do you want to grow 
in your faith. Do you want to be strengthened in your faith? Then you need nutrients. You need a superfood of faith. It's the only way to grow in obviously your knowledge of God, but to grow into conformity with him. I, so I'm excited to start reading through the Bible together to apply it in community this year. And we hope that if you're not in a life group, we hope that you will join in 2018 and get plugged in to a life group. If you could, in your pew Bible, it's page 538 or Psalm 119. If you do not have a pew Bible, 538 in the pew Bible or whatever page it is in your Bible of Psalm 119. Some of you looked at the bulletin and said Psalm 119 and you started freaking out, thinking we were going to exposit every verse of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. So we'll probably spend about five minutes per verse. So we'll be here a couple of weeks. Um, but this chapter, this is a love poem. This poem, this love poem, puts roses are red, violets to blue to shame. This love poem is a love poem about the Bible. And it is beautiful. So we're not going to read the whole thing right now. Obviously, I kind of figured you knew that. So I would like for you to read this sometime throughout the week. Just read it, meditate on it, and see what it has to say. So this chapter has 22 stanzas, and there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each stanza corresponds to one letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and each stanza has eight verses that start with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So Psalm 119, it's actually, it's an expansion, a very long expansion, right? 176 verses of Psalm 19, 7 through 9. And it says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. In the Psalms, there are eight different terms that refer to the word of God. Here they are. Because you'll see them used interchangeably once you read the whole Psalm 119. Law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, word, and ordinances. In almost every single verse, the word of God is mentioned at some capacity. Jewish people have used this chapter, Psalm 119, as part of their New Year's celebration, Rosh Hashanah. So I think it's appropriate that we begin our year diving into the word of God and the love poem about God's word. So number one, the Bible is life-giving law. If you look at the end of verse one, just look at verse one, it says, how happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. As I just said, the word instruction is another word for law. Now, the word law or instruction, it's like the straight edge of a ruler when you're cutting cloth or you're doing some sort of carpentry with wood. I'm assuming you wouldn't go out and try to make a dress out of cloth without a measurement system, right? You're not just going to go and start randomly cutting cloth and piecing it together and hope it just turns out 
like a masterpiece. The same is true if I was to go build a doghouse in my backyard with lumber. I'm not just going to go out there, get a hammer, get a nail, and just start hammering wood together. It would look more like a bonfire pit than it would a doghouse. We need a source to measure. If we don't have a measurement, things turn out chaotic. Everyone would agree with that. If you don't have a measurement system in place, things are going to turn crazy quick. Now, God's law is the straight edge by which we measure all things in life. Right, wrong, good, bad. It is our measurement system. When you don't know what's right or wrong, you can turn to Scripture and it will affirm that for you. So we have to read God's word for what it is. It's just that. It's God's word. Right? We clearly don't know what's best for us. I'll prove it to you. Over Christmas or Thanksgiving, was there any tension in any households? Was there any arguments? Was there any, was there any banter that went on at any level? Was there any anger that got shook up at all? Is there any jealousy or envy or frustration? Or did your tongue say something you probably shouldn't have said? Most people would say at least yes to something. And if you didn't, please contact me after the service. I'd love to have lunch with you. You can teach me your ways. But we're constantly having to repent of things that we do because we know we are just broken, sinful people. It just, it's who we are. It's, it's unfortunate, but that's the reality. But this book, the Bible, is the straight edge to which we measure all things, everything. So the Bible ought to contradict you. Why? Because look at you. Look at me. We're broken. This thing's perfect. We are not. It should contradict us. The Bible contradicts me all the time. It's obviously uncomfortable. Nobody likes to be contradicted, right? But it's the reality. And in those moments, you have to put your pride down, set it aside, and you're like, hey, God knows best, not me. Clearly, my sin has put me in situations that I do not wish to ever be in again. And I'm assuming if you looked in your life, you'd be like, whew, there was things I did that I wish and I hope never happened to me again. Because our sin puts us in a bad spot. That's why the Bible it's, it's life-giving law. It's, it's that straight edge to which we know what is right and what is wrong. If it doesn't contradict you, you probably aren't reading a word from God. What you're probably doing is you're projecting your own preconceived notions, your own ideas that are in your head. You're calling it God and putting it on a piece of paper and reading it. That's what you're doing. What you're looking for, you're looking more for a divine butler to make everything come true that's in your mind than what actually God says. Look at verse 17 through 19 in Psalm 119. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. He's saying the law is beautiful. The law is life-giving. Sometimes when we think about like the word law, automatically a negative impulse comes into our head. Because we're thinking, oh, you break the law, you go to jail. You break the law, you got community service. You break the law, you pay a ticket. Right? We think negative notions of the law. But God's law is the straight edge. Right? It's good for us. It is life-giving. If you look at these verses, what are some things he says? He says, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Wondrous. This is life-giving. This is good stuff. He wants to know this stuff. He wants to be able to see wondrous things about the law. He's also pleading. He's saying, hey, I'm a sojourner here on earth. I'm a stranger. I'm walking around. This is not my home. 
But guess what? Do not, please, Lord, please do not hide your commandments from me. Why? Why would he say that? Because it re-energizes the soul. The scripture energizes the soul and it gives us nutrients to know who God is. Turn to verse 105. You're probably going to have to turn a couple pages. Look at verse 105. He says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. The word gives you wisdom when you can't see it. God's word will give you wisdom about things that you can't even see. C.S. Lewis said that the law of God is like being lost in the wilderness when your feet suddenly find the path. I remember when I was about 10 years old, we took a family trip to Mammoth Cave. While we were there, we did some hiking, maybe some splunking, if that's what you want to call it. Um, And one in particular, you had the headlight, right? You put your headlight on, you walk on these paths, and sometimes the paths are somewhat wide. I mean, for a cave, I guess that's kind of wide, I guess. And then sometimes they're like super narrow paths. And then you're going and you're walking, and obviously the deeper you get, the colder it gets, and you get these little driplets of water coming from the, coming from the cave, and it gets a little chilly. But I remember going, and we, he kind of, we walked for a while, and he said, hey, we're all going to stop here. We got in a little huddle, and uh, he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the lights out. And they got this, like, huge, uh, this huge box. It's like the massive light switch. He's like, I'm going to turn this out, but you've never seen darkness like this before. And I'm like, dude, I'm 10 years old. I've been in my basement. Like, my basement is scary. So then he goes, he shuts out the lights, and like, sure enough, you're like, okay, I'm just waiting, let me just wait 10 seconds, because, you know, if you're in the dark, sometimes your eyes take a minute to calibrate, you know. Nope, didn't happen. No calibration here, right? I'm sitting there, like, doing this, can't, I mean, you literally can't see anything. You're, like, making sure you still have feed and stuff, because, like, you literally cannot see anything. You can't see two inches in front of your face. And then in a moment, he says, hey, now that you've seeing how absolutely dark it is. Turn on your headlamp. So everybody goes, turns it on. Wow, you have hands again. You have feet again. It's wild, right? There is light now to the past. Now I can actually walk and I can see where I'm going. If I was walking in Mammoth Cave that deep with no headlamp and no lights on, what's going to happen? Not good stuff. You're going to be tripping. You're going to be falling. You're going to be busting your face on the rocks. It's going to be a bad experience for you. But God's word is just that. It is a light unto your path. It is like getting lost in the wilderness and then you, boom, your feet find the path. God's word is our lamp in the dark. When we are lost, when we are confused, when we don't know what to do, you know God's word has an answer. When your feet are anxious and and your hands are anxious and they're nervous and they don't know what to do or you don't know where to go, God's word has the answers for you. It is a lamp unto your feet. God's word lights the way for us and helps us walk the narrow path. Narrowness is not constraining here. This is not a constraint system. But instead, this is liberating. I mean, you want to know the way in which God wants you to live. It is a liberating, it is a freeing thing to be able to know, have this at your fingertips to know what pleases God and what doesn't. It's freeing from the things of this world and God's word will lead us like a lamp unto rich green pastures. 
Number two, the Bible has more value than life itself. Let's listen to what the psalmist says about this. Verse 72. It says, Instruction from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. 87. They almost ended my life on earth, but I did not abandon your precepts. 92. If your instruction had not been my delight, I would have died in my affliction. 93. I will never forget your precepts, for you have given me life through them. 109. My life is constantly in danger, yet I do not forget your instruction. Obviously, there's several things in here that show that the Bible, that the Word of God is life-giving, right? And we just covered that. Just more scripture, more Psalm 119. It's life-giving. He, the psalmist looks at God's word as a beautiful thing. The next thing, he obviously values God's word more than life itself. Look, he say, hey, I was about to die on several occasions here. I am afflicted, but guess what? I did not abandon your word. I listened to your words. Hey, if your instruction had not been my delight, if this was not my delight, I would have died. I will never forget your precepts. No matter how much I'm afflicted, I will never forget your word. My life is constantly in danger, yet I do not forget it. That's saying, hey, there's things that are going on in this world, but this is the most important thing. Put the most important thing here. The psalmist, if you read, if anybody's read through the psalms, you'll see that the author is always in some, typically, he's always in some sort of disarray. He's always being attacked on some way. He's in distress. But there is an enemy prowling around, whether it is literal, right, and there's a literal war going on, which there was at, in these Psalms, or also a spiritual attacker, namely the devil and his minions. If you knew that there was a predator who lived in your neighborhood, you would not send your kids or your grandkids outside unsupervised. You just wouldn't do it. At least, I hope not. Your only hope, your only defense is Christ. Your only defense is the scriptures. That's it. The only way you can confront the devil who is, what does he do? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he is a liar and perverter of scripture. The only way to confront a lie is to know the truth. You can't confront a lie if you don't even know the truth because you would just think it's good. The same way we have to know scripture so when a lie comes into our life, we can diffuse it and know that it is not God's word. When Jesus was in the wilderness and he was being tempted by Satan, He'd not eaten or drank for 40 days, so he's obviously hungry and mentally weak. I know if I don't eat for about six hours, I am mentally weak. Um, but in the midst of this temptation that he's going through, what did he do? He quoted the words of life, right? Like he knew that the Bible was more valuable than life itself, and that he came and he, he told the devil scripture. He quoted scripture to him. Could he have used some cool thing he wanted to say or whatever he wanted to say? Sure, he could have. Did he? No, he didn't. He used God's word. 
Why? Because it's more valuable than life itself. It is life-giving law to those who follow God. The problem is this. The problem is not that you don't know how valuable the Bible is. But instead, the problem is that we never brought our practice in line with our beliefs. Let me explain it to you. If I gave you $500,000 to never touch this book, open this book, read this book, talk about this book, quote from this book again, $500,000, would you take it? Would you take it? I'm I'm talking $500,000, half a million bucks. You going to take it? No, you wouldn't take it. I'm looking at your faces and you're like, I ain't taking that. Why? Because it's too valuable. What you just told me was this. You just told me that this book right here is an asset worth over a half million dollars. I could have said a million dollars. I could have said two million dollars. You all most likely, because I know you would say, I wouldn't do that. You're valuing this as an asset of over $500,000. Do you have any other assets in your life that are over $500,000 that you just ignore? That you don't really pay attention to? That you don't really care about? Probably not. If you have an asset of $500,000, you better believe you're paying attention to what's going on. And in the same way, we should value this as our greatest asset, as our greatest resource here on earth. There's nothing better than this, right? Why do we struggle to devour this book? If it's our greatest asset, right? If it's our greatest resource, if we value this more than life itself, why do we struggle to read this book? It's the words of life. But we consistently struggle to get in our Bibles. Our prayer as a staff is that 2018, we will all collectively dive in together. And we will be penetrating this book. We'll be reading it so much. And we'll be applying it to our lives. And we'd see beautiful life change. Number three, the Bible should not be forsaken. Obviously, you all just said that this would be an asset worth over $500,000. You wouldn't forsake any other asset that's over $500,000 that you have. You just wouldn't do it. In the same way, we should not forsake this wonderful gift that God has given to us. It is priceless. We don't need any self-help books on, hey, how can I be a better person? Ten steps to be a better person. Or five steps to to rid yourself of anger. Or seven steps for having a more prosperous 2018. Actually, it'd probably be eight steps, you know, because they're pretty clever. You know, eight steps to becoming better in 2018. Or we don't need any of that. Why? Because this book is so valuable. It has all the answers in there for you. It teaches us to, to live like Christ, to be perfect and righteous like Christ, although we'll never meet that mark. It has everything we need to grow in righteousness. Some of you may or may not even know your greatest need, but you keep hearing me say like, but this book is sufficient. It's perfect. It's it's good. It's life-giving. It's more valuable than life itself. And some of you are wondering, what, what is even, like, what makes it so valuable? 
Well, what makes it so valuable is number one, it's God's word. And number two, it's the awesome, amazing news that a perfect God came and made a perfect world. But then we do what we do best, which is rebel. We rebel. We ran from God, and we call that sin. Anything that doesn't line up with God's perfect law would be considered sin. So that's what we did. And we ran from God, and we thought we would do our own thing. It's like we were in Mammoth Cave with, with no headlamp on, and we're just tripping and falling and hitting our head and getting, getting concussions right and left. But then God knew we were like totally in the dark, couldn't do anything on our own. So what did he do? He chose to send his son to live the life that we couldn't live. He lived the perfect sinless life where we struggled to do and continue to struggle to live. But then his son died on a cross and he was our sacrifice so that we don't have to live in our sin anymore. We don't have to live with the shame and the guilt of sin any longer. But instead, we can now be reconciled back to God because of what Christ has done. So Christ not only died on the cross and was buried, but three days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered hell, death, and the grave. That's the best news. The news that we can have a relationship with God because of what Christ has done, and we don't have to go to hell. We can instead go and be with God forever. That is the beautiful message of this book. And some of you may not know your greatest need, and if you don't know that and you don't fully trust in Christ, we would say, that's your greatest need. No doubt about it. That is your greatest need. More than food, more than water, more than anything else. That is your greatest need. Some of you who are believers, no matter how much of the Bible you read or didn't read in 2017, I'm going to tell you, take a deep breath. It's okay. 2018 is one day away. It's time to start out fresh. It's time to renew your thoughts, renew your passion for God's word. Because I can tell you this, there's some things you can't say as a pastor because you're just like, it'll be a lie. If you set it up here, this is not a lie. If you read God's word intentionally and you focus on what he is saying and you work to apply it to your life, you will grow in your faith. You will grow in your faith. So in last verse of Psalm 119, which would be verse 176, says, I wander like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Some of you are lost. You're not even sheep yet. You're just lost. We'd, we'd ask you, if you do not know Christ, come today to know who Christ is and what he has done for you on the cross. But some of you are lost sheep. You are actually in the fold of God and you are trying to walk around and dictate life on your own. And what happens is, is roadblock, stumble, roadblock, crash, this, that. And it's just not turning out good for you because you're not following the ways of God, right? You're not following the straight edge ruler that God has given us in his word. We'd ask for you to to commit to, to joining a life group, committing to read through the foundation's reading plan, to, to do it together as a church so we can do it in community. We'd love to see you have accountability, to be in that life group, to experience that fellowship, and do the Bible together with us as a church. At the end of service, Chris will be out in the back and he'll have 
the Foundations books if you've not yet picked one up. If you're interested in a life group, you can come talk to me or talk to the people at the Next Step Desk. They'd love to help get you connected to a life group as well. I'll also be down in front if you have any questions about what is faith, what, who is Christ, what does this mean for my life. I'd love to talk with you about that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who, who you are. God, you are perfect. God, you have given us your word. We're so thankful for that. It's a gift that, Lord, that we do not deserve, Lord, but in your grace and in your mercy, you gave it to us. Lord, we pray that your word would be a light unto our path, Lord, that we would view it as the most valuable asset and resource that we have. Lord, we know that it is life-giving law, and we thank you for that. We pray for the people who are in here who are discouraged from the way 2017 went. Lord, we pray that you would help them wrap their arms around your word, and that they would read it and meditate on it and apply it to their lives. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done through Christ. In your name, amen.